You're listening to the Cyberwire Network, powered by N2K. And now a word from our sponsor, Netscope. Netscope is a worldwide leader in SASE and Zero Trust. Its unified platform, Netscope One, provides optimized access and zero trust security for people, devices, and data anywhere they go, helping customers reduce risk, accelerate performance, and get unrivaled visibility into any cloud, web, and private application activity. To learn more about how Netscope helps customers be ready for anything on their sassy journey, visit netskope.com. A vulnerability in widely used networking software leaves it open to a worm infestation. Were the WannaCry hackers annoying stumble bums, or are there deeper games afoot? Help desk scammers say they'll rid you of ransomware. They won't. Researchers watch Widia, commodity ransomware that's still an early-stage work in progress. The Manchester terrorist looks more like a known wolf than a lone wolf. And U.S. Cyber Command would like ISIS to know that they're in the fort's crosshairs. I'm Dave Bittner in Baltimore with your CyberWire summary for Thursday, May 25, 2016. WannaCry was notable for being a ransom worm. The U.S. Department of Homeland Security warned that a vulnerability in Samba, the free Linux and Unix networking software, leaves it susceptible to similar worm infestations. According to researchers at Rapid7, there were no signs of exploitation in the wild, at least in the first 24 hours after discovery and disclosure. The precise scope of the threat posed by Eternal Blue and Eternal Rocks remains unsettled, but there is widespread concern that active exploitation may be taking more disturbing forms than the stumble-bum extortion of the first WannaCry wave. Symantec's attribution of the WannaCry attacks to North Korea is being picked up by other observers, with some dissenting voices being raised. The dissent is founded largely on grounds of a priori caution, attribution of this kind being necessarily circumstantial. But they also cite evidence in the code pointing to the possibility that the Lazarus Group's spore Symantec followed was the result of some unknown third party copying earlier malware. The mixed nature of the attack also baffles some. Were the attackers stumblebums who copied malware ineptly and simply delivered it via the slick eternal blue exploit they got courtesy of the shadow brokers, or were they playing some deeper game? We've seen suggestions of a deeper game exploiting Eternal Blue and Eternal Rocks and other sources, including Croatia's CERT and security companies like Sedco, Forcepoint, Cyfort, and Cyber Detection Services. And the story will clearly continue to develop over the coming weeks. The argument in favor of North Korean stumblebums would be consistent with a vast, loose effort that wasn't prepared to take in all the cash a campaign of that size would have been expected to generate, That the overt goal of WannaCry was financial is also consistent with a North Korean origin. Pyongyang is cash-strapped, especially now that sanctions imposed by China, formerly the DPRK's main trading partner, have begun to bite harder. On the other hand, there are plenty of warnings that North Korea's hackers are dangerous and capable, so perhaps the extortion is just misdirection. In any case, Symantec is fairly confident they've got the attribution right. A variant of the familiar help desk scam is taking advantage of widespread public concerns over WannaCry. The scammers call, tell you you're infected, then offer to take over your machine to fix the infection. 
The UK's Action Fraud Centre sounded the alert, but it's reasonable to expect this approach wherever the help desk scam flourishes. Sentinel-1 reports a new ransomware strain, Widia, interesting in that it looks like early-stage commodity-level crimeware. Widia asks for a credit card payment as opposed to customary Bitcoin, but it seems more scareware than true crypto ransomware. It throws up a screen that says your files are encrypted, but actually they're not. Sentinel-1 thinks the authors will eventually add the malicious encryption they now lack. It's early, so stay tuned and stay alert. It's also worth noting that the incident shows there's no obvious and unavoidable relationship between cryptocurrencies and cybercrime. Bitcoin in particular, and blockchain technologies more generally, represent efficient ways of transferring funds, but they're by no means uniquely associated with criminal elements, and they're fast on their way into the economic mainstream. While WannaCry was a ransom worm, the most common vector for a ransomware infection continues to be phishing. A recently released survey of enterprise security leaders by the magazine Computing suggests that ransomware is among the likeliest attacks to get through corporate defenses. There's no question that cybersecurity has earned attention in the boardroom, but attention doesn't always mean alignment. Yonggon Chan is CEO of Focal Point Data Risk, and they recently released the Cyber Balance Sheet Report, which takes a closer look at the breakdowns between board members and their security teams. Some of the key findings in the report really show a lack of alignment between what board members and security leaders actually view as the value of cybersecurity programs. Uh, For instance, security leaders really see their role as providing security guidance or as a business enabler. And the reaction to that from a board member is that that's really more aspirational and that security's job is to protect our organization and our assets from liability associated with data breaches. And so board members see security's role as data protection uh, and helping the organization to manage risk. And so what do you think is driving that disconnect? Uh, I think there are several factors that drive that disconnect. I think the the first thing really talks to the communication barrier. Within the, the cyber industry, there's a lot of emphasis on jargon. Uh, we talk about things like data exfiltration instead of just calling theft, theft. Uh, we talk about things like zero days. Uh, we talk about exploits and vulnerabilities instead of saying these are errors and these are bugs and these are mistakes. And I think that emphasis on jargon doesn't allow board members to embrace the communication and build the right types of trust and confidence because board members are accustomed to speaking the language of business. And that language of business is very much cemented in financial terms and enterprise risk terms. Board members have had 13 years to get acclimated to audit terms as a result of Sarbanes-Oxley. So they think about things in terms of materiality and material weaknesses or control deficiencies. And, and because of that, that language barrier, uh, we see as a, as a key factor in, in showing that disparity. And so which side do you think uh, has to make the adjustment? Is this a matter of, of the, the IT folks having to learn to speak the language of the board or the board having to learn the language of IT, or is it meet somewhere in the middle? I think it's meet somewhere in the middle, but I do believe there is more effort that needs to be applied from the security leader's side. Um, when a board member looks at 
a security status report that's being presented to them. They want to see things that represent uh, a relationship to the business. And so if the cybersecurity function doesn't show how it supports the business making money, um, that's a real challenge. So, so the security leader needs to be able to translate a lot of these concepts in such a way that helps them build trust. That's Yonggon Chan from Focal Point Data Risk. As members of Manchester suicide bomber Salman Abedi's network are rolled up in counter-terror operations, and six arrests so far include his father and a brother, he looks less than ever a true lone wolf, inspired but not controlled by ISIS. Unfortunately, he may also have been a known wolf. Investigation into the Manchester bomber's radicalization suggests his family warned the authorities, and Abedi's brother had, according to NBC News, been under surveillance as a possible terrorist in Libya for some months before his arrest. There are also reports that suggest members of Abedi's family were concerned about his radicalization and brought that to the authorities' attention. Testimony before the U.S. Congress this week offered a glimpse, albeit through a glass and darkly, of the U.S. military's cyber offensive against ISIS. The organization conducting it, Joint Task Force Ares, was established by U.S. Cybercom's commander, Admiral Rogers. It's led by Lieutenant General Paul Nakasone, commanding general of U.S. Army Cyber Command, and it operates in support of U.S. CENTCOM, the American combatant command operating in the Middle East. Understandably, they won't provide much in the way of details, but Admiral Rogers summed up the task force's operations this way, quote, We have been very public and acknowledge the fact that we're using cyber offensively against ISIS, not just because we want ISIS to know that we're contesting them, but because, quite frankly, we also think it's in our best interest for others to have a level of awareness that we are investing in capability and we are employing it, within a legal, law-of-armed-conflict framework, not indiscriminately. Good hunting, Joint Task Force Ares. Every day, your IAM tech debt grows. Your multi-generational services struggle to work together. Building an identity fabric can fix this. It makes all your identity tooling stronger and allows you to connect any app to any service you want to use with zero coding, zero maintenance, and zero app downtime. Strata's identity orchestration platform separates the identity logic from your applications so you can optimize existing IAM tools and manage them in a single control plane. Now, every vendor, standard, and architecture work together. In short, building your identity fabric means you can secure your non-standard apps, keep your complex access policies, retire outdated IDPs, and modernize in record time. So build your fabric with Strata Identity and get rid of tech debt for good. Visit strata.io slash cyberwire, share your identity priorities, and receive a pair of AirPods Pro. Offer valid for organizations over 5,000 employees. Connect today at strata.io slash cyberwire. And now, a word from our sponsor, Sixth Sense. 
Sixth Sense provides award-winning cloud-based automated endpoint and vulnerability management solutions to streamline IT and security operations. With its advanced platform, businesses gain complete visibility and control over their infrastructure, reducing IT and security risks, and optimizing operational efficiency. With Sixth Sense, you'll get real-time alerts, risk-based vulnerability prioritization and remediations, and an intuitive automation and orchestration engine so you can focus on your core business goals. Confident in the knowledge that your enterprise is secure, compliant, and running smoothly. To learn why enterprises choose Sixth Sense, visit SixthSense.com. And I'm pleased to be joined once again by Ben Yellen. He's a senior law and policy analyst at the University of Maryland Center for Health and Homeland Security. Uh, ben, welcome back. Um, I had a story come by from Ars Technica. Uh, it was about the Supreme Court uh, asked to rule if cops need a warrant for cell site data. What's going on here? So one of the newest tactics for law enforcement across this country is to glean information from uh, cell site data. So cell site data can reveal at least uh, which cell tower a person was closest to. If you're trying to figure out whether a potential criminal was at a particular location at a particular time, it can provide that information. Of course, this implicates the Fourth Amendment's ban on unreasonable searches and seizures. Up until now, uh, lower courts have held, for the most part, that the collection of, of cell site towers that's done without a warrant is indeed constitutional. And the constitutional basis for these decisions comes from a 1979 case called Smith v. Maryland. Uh, that case held that if a person voluntarily submits information to a third party, basically some sort of business record. So in that case, they were talking about a person's landline phone calls, which we would now consider metadata, what time the call was made, the number that made the call, the number that received the call. Since you are voluntarily giving that information to a third party, you lose your reasonable expectation of privacy, and thus a warrant is not required. And lower courts have held that the collection of cell site information is analogous. You should at least be aware that when you're making a call from your cell phone, you are submitting location data to your cellular service provider. And once you do that, you've lost the expectation that they are not going to share that information with law enforcement. So far, the Supreme Court has had chances to review cases on this subject, and they've turned all of those opportunities down. There is the sort of informal rule of four that if four of the nine justices choose to take a case, then the case will be heard in front of the Supreme Court. We'll have to see. There are currently five outstanding cases uh, across the country based on the warrantless collection of cell site data. So it seemed like the time is ripe to, to clarify this issue, especially since our laws and the doctrine from uh, Smith v. Maryland, the third-party doctrine, is potentially outdated uh, in, in our digital world. All right, we'll keep an eye on it. Ben Yellen, thanks for joining us. Are lengthy security reviews pulling attention away from your security program? With the largest network of trust centers, Vanta can help you streamline security reviews to win customer trust, save time, and close deals fast. Proactively demonstrate security by showcasing key resources like your SOC 2 or ISO 27001 and provide real-time evidence for passing controls. 
And when a security questionnaire is required, Vanta takes the first pass for you. Visit vanta.com slash cyber to take a self-serve tour. That's vanta.com slash cyber. And that's the CyberWire. We are proudly produced in Maryland by our talented team of editors and producers. I'm Dave Bittner. Thanks for listening. Hey all, Rick here. At N2K CyberWire, we're dedicated to continuously improving the quality of the news and commentary on our network. That's why we're inviting you to participate in our 2024 audience survey. It only takes a few minutes, and your feedback is invaluable. Plus, you'll have the chance to win a $100 Amazon gift card as a thank you for your time. Head on over to cyberwire.com survey. That's cyberwire.com survey to share your feedback now. And now, a word from our sponsor, Zscaler, the leader in cloud security. Cyber attackers are using AI in creative ways to compromise users and breach organizations. In a security landscape where you must fight AI with AI, the best AI protection comes from having the best data. Zscaler has extended its zero-trust architecture with powerful AI engines that are trained and tuned by 500 trillion daily signals. Learn more about Zscaler Zero Trust plus AI to prevent ransomware and AI attacks. Experience your world secured. Visit zscaler.com slash zero trust AI.